0: Welcome to Life at the Academy, a Midshipman-produced podcast that examines how the culture, traditions, and daily life of midshipmen have evolved over time. I'm Midshipman Nels Waranimi. And
1: I'm Midshipman Calvin Tran. So, Nels, seeing that this podcast is a brand-new project from the Academy's History Department, and it's going to be Midshipman-led, what motivated you to be a part of this team, and what goals and objectives do you have for this podcast moving forward as we produce these
0: episodes? Culture at the Naval Academy is a unique topic, and that's because there's a very distinct culture among the Brigade of Midshipmen. It's distinct in one way because newly arriving plebes are indoctrinated into that culture, formally indoctrinated, through the process of plebe summer. But it's also interesting because that culture that they're indoctrinated into has been built upon 175 years of classes passing on to the classes that succeed them, the culture of the Naval Academy. So in some ways, it's remained remarkably the same over the past 175 years. And in other ways, it's changed significantly. So the aim of this podcast is to determine the ways that culture at the Academy has stayed the same, but also to show how culture has changed over time.
1: Yes, I think that's like a really great point about the foundation of the culture, how it's lasted for 175 years. It's kind of interesting to think that right now as Midshipmen, even though we've both been here for only two years, our actions and every Midshipman contributes to this culture. And it's interesting to see how slowly this culture changes over the years and how companies and battalions and brigade leadership have an impact in the culture. And one thing I'm really excited about with this podcast is just the wide spectrum of different perspectives we can get ranging from professors, military officers. There's gonna be a lot of really great conversations about what makes the academy culture what it is today.
0: That's exactly right. And I think that each person who has interacted with this institution, and like you said, ranging from old graduates to professors to the officer leadership to those who have viewed the academy from the local Annapolis community, everyone has been shaped uniquely by this institution, and everyone has made their own individual contributions. So we want to tell the stories. How, have, how has midshipman culture shaped you, and how have you shaped midshipman culture? So with that wide range of topics, Calvin, why don't you introduce what we're going to be talking about today?
1: For sure. We're really excited to talk about this topic today, and it's about in regards to the changing rules and expectations in the brigade over the past 50 years. Today we're going to be hearing from a 1975 grad and hear his perspectives on what the Academy was like for him and how he thinks it's changed over time. So if that knows, can you please introduce our guest?
0: Today's guest is going to be Rick Johns, who graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy in 1975 and began his career as a surface warfare officer aboard USS Hoel. He then switched to serving as an engineering duty officer and went on to receive his Master of Science in 1982 from the Naval Postgraduate School. He has served tours at Naval Surface Warfare Center divisions at Dahlgren, Port Wyneme, and White Oak, and was officer in charge of the Guided Missile Frigate 7 Combat System Test Center, designing and testing surface ship weapon and combat systems. He was the concept originator, lead engineer, and program manager for the computer-aided Dead Reckoning Tracer, CADRT, an undersea warfare decision support system, which are operational on U.S. Navy destroyers, cruisers, and carriers. After retirement, he continued supporting Navy system development as a contractor and civil servant until transferring to the National Security Agency in 2006. After retiring from NSA, he began part-time teaching and tutoring Plebe Cyber, Where he still volunteers today he has written several articles for the u.s naval institute's proceedings magazine and has won prizes in two of the naval institute's essay contests calvin what are you looking forward to about today's interview
1: well one of the most things that i'm interested to hear rick talk about is One of the distinct parts of Naval Academy culture is the creative methods that midshipmen have employed throughout the years to get around rules or just circumvent rules. So I'm really excited to hear some great sea stories from him about his time as a midshipman.
0: I agree, and at the same time, I'll be interested to hear about how some of the midshipman rules and expectations have changed over time, particularly those that appear in midshipman regulations or midregs, as well as the plebe and upper class relationships and how the expectations for those have evolved over time.
1: And I think one of the most compelling things that Rick will be able to offer us today in terms of his perspective on the academy culture is the attitude of retention. Um, During his time at the academy, it was clear that there was a different culture of how they treated how many midshipmen should be at the academy and who deserved to be at the academy as opposed to now where there's more of a focus on retention, so to see his perspective on that.
0: More of a focus on positive pressure with a purpose.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Okay, without further ado, let's turn to the interview. Joining me today will be midshipman Peter Shaner. Rick Johns, thank you very much, sir, for joining us today.
2: My pleasure.
0: We'd like to begin by noting that you came here as a plebe about 50 years ago, actually exactly 50 years ago, and now you have the chance to come back and work with your Link in the Chain class, the class that's come 50 years after yours. What's that experience like to work with your Link in the Chain class, and what has it been like to view the institution both inside and out for the past
2: 50 years? Well, it's really fun to work with the class. I teach two sections of cyber, so I get to share sea stories more than I would. I've been a sponsor parent for a little bit over 15 years now and so I've seen things change and actually it's changed a fair amount in the last 10 years. Uh, seeing the with the iPhones and that whole thing change over that's brought a big change in what I see with the midshipmen and the way their life has been impacted. Uh, so I don't see them too much on a day-to-day basis well other than in class but it's it's kind of cool to see what they're learning what their their classes are and just some's the same some things they're amazed by
3: uh, Rick what was midregs like when you were a midshipman and how is it different from what you see today
2: um, midregs was I mean it was what we lived by you read them a little bit at the beginning we, we had to have a copy of it on the corner of our desk, all the time. It was a ri- it was a written document. I mean, you flipped through it. Uh, you didn't memorize it. You tried to work around it as best you could. Um, <laughs> I actually like Eisenhower of getting a reg change at a military academy um, when we were when we were plebes. They stop, we used to have, have morning Reveille and everybody had to get up at Reveille. You had to be out of your rack. And so we, uh, and then we, had, we went down to breakfast. And so the reg was you had to be out of your rack from Reveille until after breakfast. Three-quarters of the way through they stopped having breakfast for firsties at uh, second class. And so my firsties got fried for being in the rack. And I noticed that it said you you could be in it after breakfast. Well, since they didn't have breakfast at all, then technically, as soon as they stood up and got counted, they could go back to their rack. And they wrote that up on their form, in their response to their form one, and they got off with it. So I was first successful sea lawyer appearance. (laughs) Uh, But... Then about two weeks later, the change came out that <laughs> said you couldn't be in the rack from reveille till quarters formation.
0: Well, let's turn to that aspect of Michigan culture, which is to find inventive ways around some of the rules.
2: Okay. Well, I actually I was talking to my classmate too. I mean, he was telling me how he kept a small after youngster year he kept a small TV in his locker. That was one. Nobody rated TVs back then. Um, one of the big ones was we had a, that one of the regs was, as I mentioned, you had to get up at Reveille. Well, our second class was pretty inventive. He put up, he rigged, a bu- we lived up on the fourth deck of 6-4, we lived on 6-4, I was in 28th company back then. And we had a buzzer system that ran into all the second and first class rooms. well it was a subscription service this guy was making money (laughs) he also ran the illegal hot dog vending (laughs) franchise but anyways so in the morning one of the plebes would sit in the the hallway between the two ladder wells on on six in the sixth wing and there'd be one plebe in each ladder well and we were looking for the OOD or the moo or whatever you could always hear them clanking up because they wore swords back then so you'd hear them clanking up the ladder with their mate in, in tow. And if we saw that, we turn around, run in, wave to the the guy sitting in the hallway reading his papers for the his three more his three daily news articles. He'd pop up, run in, plug in a plug, and buzzers would go off in all the upper class rooms. And they'd all jump out of bed. <laughs> Worked fine. Except that there's an elevator in 6'4 and sixth wing and the O.D. came up the elevator straight to our straight up the 6-4 doors open he does an immediate U-turn into the room right next to him well our guy in the hall sees it so he jumps up goes running in and he's plugging in the buzzer well about this time the O.D. is entering the door now we had come around to our second class every morning Right, yeah. Every morning, come around to second class. So he turns the loop. Well, our this second class had rigged a bucket of water on his doorway to douche out the <laughs> the plebes when they came around for come around. So you got the O.D. Boom! Slams open the door. Whoosh! Water comes pouring down on top of them. Buzz! And two midshipmen jump out of the racks. Huh. He goes, what the hell is that thing going on? It means you're here, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that was the end of the bunker system. But, um, I mean, that's, that's the sort of thing. Uh, my my roommate, Youngster Year, his sponsor dad was Captain Krulak. Well, Captain Krulak became Colonel Krulak, became... General Krulak, Commandant of the Marine Corps. But as Captain Krulak, one day he was making his tour and he's walking around and everything else and he barges into this one room and plebeers or midshipmen are standing up. And there he comes and he walks over to the bathroom mirror and he grabs it, and he pulls it out, pulls out a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, still here. That was his bottle of whiskey. Uh-oh. He was class of '60 something. Oh, really? <laughs> still there. <laughs> and that story—I mean, it was confirmed when he was a colonel. My—I just talked to my, my best friend, and he was friends with Colonel Krulak when they when they when he was in the Pentagon. And uh, yeah, he—that was his bottle. I think he was class of mid '60s. So I mean, the saying was, "You rate what you get away with." I don't know. You guys have that saying? You rate what you skate. You rate what you skate. Well, see, that's not changed. It's just what we skate on. I've got
0: a question about that. Do you think midshipmen have that sense more than their peers at other colleges?
2: And if so, why is that? I don't know. Um, again, I've never gone to another college. I, I went to uh, Naval Postgraduate School, so all my stuff is Navy-Navy. Is uh, so I, I've never lived the dorm experience someplace else. Um, I don't. I don't think my—I mean, I, my son went to the University of Maryland. I don't think he really had—because they can do it. In other words, they can have beer and, and alcohol in their room. They can have a television. They can listen. I mean, we didn't—we weren't allowed to have radios in our rooms until after Christmas. So As plebes, that as was. As plebes, hey. as plebes, yeah. And then you got stereo. That was as far as it went. There was none of this with— Refrigerators and and microwaves and I mean well first of all well I won't say they didn't exist because I had a microwave when I was in high school but they were brand new, uh, but none of that stuff there was a there was a coffee maker in the wardroom, and you you know bleeps had to keep the coffee sort of fresh, and there was yeah the wardroom had a large a large screen TV in it uh, you know maybe 35 inch 25 inch screen tv and that was about it back then.
3: Speaking on it seems like the plebes had a lot of responsibilities from the buzzer to keeping the coffee fresh a lot of stuff that we don't see today what was the what were the punishments like for plebes if they couldn't keep up with all the things that the upper class were tasking them with?
2: Um, First of all the first one was just come arounds of course if you didn't do stuff you could get fried so just failure to carry out a, a duty um, but Usually it was like bracing up, but I mean you could have be braced up for a week. Uh, we had the we we don't I don't think we got a picture of it. We claimed the world's champion bracer upper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had a guy by the name of Mike. He had had a motorcycle accident before he came to the Naval Academy and had broken his jaw. As a result, when he pulled his chin in, he'd get like eight layers of brace ripples in there so and he just sort of uh, he just sort of just dropped his jaw it didn't take him any effort he didn't have to pull his neck back or anything else it was just a natural thing and so bracing up uh could you explain what bracing up is for okay those you bracing up is when you stand full of tension and you pull your you tuck your chin into your chest and you have to get at least three chins i got plenty of down there <laughs> so but uh so that was bracing up my the guy next the plebe next door was our most braced up guy mark compagna uh <laughs> he always was getting braced up for some reason uh, but bracing up just having to come to come arounds. I mean if you pissed you could be sent to a come around to somebody in another company You you really didn't want to do that if you screwed up but basically just getting yelled at, and then you could get fried. So it wasn't, I mean, it was just you had to learn something. You have to make a report. We didn't have the organized prono that you guys have. It was all via come around. So did the person doing the come around essentially
0: decide what they were going to talk about with the plebe or what,
2: yeah. what information the plebe yeah. was going to be responsible for? Yeah, I mean, you had your rates, but again, once you've been there, once you've been at, a plebe for a, a bit of time, you've pretty much got them down. Uh but then they like your second class would tell you, I want you to come in and discuss this, or they would discuss it. Same thing, uh and I've been talking to some of the pleas now, I mean meals were stressful. Meals you were drilled on your rates, you were sitting I guess do you guys still you gotta sit on the edge of the chair? We
0: had that's just for plebe
2: summer.
3: They're pretty much completely normal people in King Hall. I mean, like, people make, like, jokes and have them make the conversation for the, the table, but it's nothing like how you're describing Of
2: No, no, you—I mean, the plebes managed the table. Food came from the end where the alleyway is. There were food carts that would come would come down the aisle there, and we had enlisted people doing that. So you had stewards— that was their shore duty. They'd come in and they'd bring trays and they'd bring it to the, the table. And then so the food came to the table, the plebes grabbed it, they sent it down to the first class end. The first class took their meal. Then the plebe, so you had generally three plebs in a in a squad. So you had two plebes on one side of the table, one plebe on the other side, so that you could pass stuff back and forth and up and down. So it would go to the the first class and it'd go back up to the other end of the table to the second class then it would go to the the youngsters would take it themselves and then whatever was left. Now there was always I mean again you always had 12 servings and everything else but so you always had food and that, that's what I'm saying you know the first is going last. It's like no if there's enough food you don't have you know the senior officers get served first. You go on board ship the CO doesn't wait until the whole until the rest of the wardroom is eaten he he gets served first and that's the way we did it then Um, but we also had three chews and a swallow if you got asked a question you had three chews and a swallow before you had to answer so you took small bites three chews yes sir Um, we used to have to provide like kool-aid they had i mean we had milk and we had water so you'd bring down a thing of Kool-Aid, a package of Kool-Aid. It turned out my, my aunt, her husband was a pharmacist, so she brought me one of these big commercial, like you see in the stores, things of Kool-Aid. And so I was always bringing the Kool-Aid down. Well, one day I got wrapped up in class and everything else, I forgot the Kool-Aid. I'm thinking, oh, crap, I'm gonna be in deep trouble. I go in there, no Kool-Aid for the meal. I didn't get in trouble. My two squad mates got in trouble because they didn't back me up. The first he knew, I'd been, the upper class knew I'd been bringing all the Kool-Aid. I always had it and everything else. And the one time I forgot something, you know, they turned to them, so well, where, you know, don't you have a backup? What are you gonna do? I was, I, we were all stunned. <laughs> you know, I was, I was terrified standing in noon meal formation worrying about the Kool-Aid and then, but I didn't get in trouble. But that's, you know, the type, it was, you were tense the whole time. You had morning come around to your second class, noon come around to your firsties. And they're usually, there usually wasn't come around at night unless you'd screwed up because uh, everybody was coming back from class. They were at sports and all those other things. So, everybody was really busy, but morning, morning and noon come arounds were, and you were drilled.
0: Rick, did come arounds oftentimes have the interesting features like the water coming down on you
2: when you walked in the room? Or was that just, that was every very, once in a while? very rarely. I mean, no, that was not a thing. That was, I mean, there was the, do you want to hang around and listen to music? Well, if you wanted to hang around and music, you went over to the, the shower stall and you jumped up grabbed the shower bar and hung around. <laughs> so that was hanging around. Not but very pleasant no no so that only happened a couple times but no that when they felt like doing it they would they would set you up but it wasn't common. And then there were uh, birthdays so on birthdays the plebes would take the upper class and you'd either throw them in the uh, the severn. Not during the winter stuff. So you take them water skiing. Water skiing was when you picked them up and you put their feet in two urinals and sh- sh- flush <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> there were there used to be a, a tavern right ac- right outside the yard called Buzzies. And that was a big place for midshipmen to go over the wall. Usually not plebes, upper class. Over the wall, as in. Over the wall, as in, at night after taps, you'd go <whistles> over the wall or sneak, uh, sneaking outside the, the yard was over the wall. And then you come back. And so... And did people do that frequently? I would say yes. Mm-hmm. I never did it. I just, I wasn't a drinker. Um, so I, I never did it, but there were others that did it frequently, um, particularly as they got older. We were actually here when they changed the law about midshipmen drinking. It was actually against the law in the state of Maryland to sell alcohol to midshipmen, any midshipmen, within seven miles of the Chapel Dome. And since we couldn't go on Liberty outside of seven miles from the Chapel Dome, it sorta put a kibosh on alcohol. No midshipmen uh, out of any class could go beyond seven miles? When you were on town liberty when you were firsty, you, when you were firsty, you could. You, there was a fifty-mile limit, which you could just make it to DC, where the drinking age was nineteen, I believe. Now, the soup when I was here was Vice Admiral Calvert, and he was a a front-running nuke submarine skipper, World War II combat submarine CO. I think he was a CO. I forget which one, but early member of the nuke submarine community and I I think he was a fleet commander but he got relieved by Admiral Mack Admiral Mack at the time had just come as commander of 7th Fleet which was the fleet that was running the war off Vietnam. He came back and said this is ridiculous I've got combat veterans here. I've got marines and sailors that have been Fighting the war, and you're telling me they can't get a beer. So he actually had he had to get the law changed. He actually got the law changed, and that's when they were the first time they were renovating Dahlgren, and Dahlgren actually had beer taps. In Dahlgren Hall, and um, the tradition was that. Do you guys have an Army Navy bonfire? No, we don't. Oh yeah, as part of the pep rally. You would have a big pep rally in tea court then you'd run out to Farragut, then you'd have a big bonfire set up, and you'd go out and you'd have the soup and the Daunt would light the fire and we'd all, you know, sing more Navy songs. But then, once they got the, the beer kegs in Dahlgren, the soup would host the second and first class to a kegger. So we'd all pour into, into Dahlgren, have our a beer or two on, paid for by the don or this <laughs> and the soup, so that was the army navy pep rally. I I think the the sense of adventure is kind of more there because it was a challenge. Today there's more of a focus on
0: retention in the brigade. Once a midshipman enters the gates of the naval academy, the institution really wants to keep them here, and have them survive until graduation when they can become an officer, but that wasn't the way it was when you were here. Can you tell us about how that's different from when you were a midshipman?
2: Yeah, our attitude was, are you friggin' good enough to be in my Navy? You better prove it. So this is what I'm saying is it was, you, we did, I mean, if you screwed up during plebe summer and even partway into the year, you hit it for your class. So we had to do 75 push-ups. You know, we could do that. If they if they were going to do group physical activity, a firstie had to do it with you. So, I mean, naturally, we had a defensive tackle as one of our squad leaders. So <laughs> <laughs> doing push-ups and squats and everything else was not really a problem for them. Uh, some of us, it wasn't as, as fun a thing. But you were challenged to did you belong here? Are you good enough to be in in my Navy? And I know I almost panicked one time because I realized that one of the traditions was if you left the pins off like your name tag or something else, you'd pin it back on. You'd give them a little, well, I did that during plebe summer with one of my plebes he started bleeding, and I'm like, oh, I could get kicked out for this, which was not what I wanted to have happen. Did anyone find out about the painting? No, not that one. And the other thing was, this is when they, like, how many of you, I'm just curious, have company officers that are graduates? Mine is Both. Yeah. Actually, only one of my two company officers have been U.S. and A grads. Both of okay. mine have
3: been U.S. A grads.
2: Because when, I, when we got here, you, one of the requirements for being a company officer was to be a grad. So they were part of the tradition. They were part of it. When I came back for first class year, they had they were changing that. They were going to see about having company officers that had not graduated from here. Well, I didn't know this at the time, um, but anyways, over the summer I'd gone down to Tijuana and brought back a, bought a souvenir bullwhip and. So, unknown to me, my my other c- company mates had been telling the plebes, "If you think we're tough, wait till m- Mr. Johns gets here. He's a <laughs> real tight ass." And I was, uh, I was one of the tighter ones. But um, and I and I <laughs> now I did this one on purpose, not not for my company officer. We used to come back and you put all your stuff into a laundry cart. I think you still have laundry carts, but it was. Have hanger. It had the hanging hooks and everything else. So one of the things I hung from the hanging hook was my bullwhip. And I'm tootling down the hall, going to my room for the uh, just to put my stuff away. And I got this bullwhip there. And I'm in there about five minutes. And company officer knocks on the door, and comes in, and I of course stand up, sound off. And I hadn't never met. I hadn't met him at that time. And hi, I'm Mr. Honorado, and. Good to meet you, sir. Thank you. He says, um, what's that? <laughs> and pointing to the bullwhip. I said, It's a souvenir from Tijuana, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it is? Uh, yes, sir. I mean I left it out there on purpose to scare the pleas, but I wasn't gonna tell him that. <laughs> <tactic>. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna tell him that. But um so that was but that was it. The writing was on the wall that women were going to be coming, and so we were trying to figure out, you know, what was that going to mean. Um, We couldn't, there were periods of the day during plebe summer when the plebe, it was marked as private time. And the plebes could go into their rooms, and they would close their doors, and you couldn't interrupt them. You would be fried for interrupting them unless it was a military emergency. You know, if their parents had died or something, you had to get them moving so it's like, what do you mean they have private time? So when I look at you guys with plebes taking naps, uh, no. <laughs> so the whole thing about retention, commandant in the soup actually did worry about that. My class, we didn't know it at the time. We just figured we were damn good. We actually got secured from all plebe rates when we came back from spring break. I said you guys have been doing such a fantastic job where you don't have you're secured you're not you don't have to do any plebe stuff anymore well the reality was we were dropping like flies our class was the smallest class to graduate we came in with same size as you guys do 1300 stuff we graduated 811. wow now there were some unique factors i mean first one was The war was winding down, and we were the 19-year-old cadre when they stopped the 19-year-old draft. So all the guys that had figured they were going to get drafted for the war when they were 19 now no longer had that hanging over their head. And so we had guys that came to the Naval Academy to get, it was a college, they were going to get, on top of that, the GI Bill, the way it was written, we were eligible for the GI Bill, and you would get one year of college for every year of active service. So if you stayed through youngster year, you would get two years of college after that from the GI Bill. So there was an actual incentive for us to quit. <laughs> <laughs> after two years, get fo- get our college paid for free, and you know, no harm, no foul. You know, looking back on it, I think they secured us because we were—they were losing us so fast. Mm-hmm. But um, it was not something they didn't go to extraordinary means. If you, had, you know, like with the honor stuff, there was no honor remediation mm-hmm. for the most part. You got found by the honor court, <laughs> you're gone. Mm-hmm.
0: Did that? Can you hack it? mentality last all four years here, or was that just a plebe year thing? Oh, no.
2: No, no. I mean, as a firstie, that was my attitude towards the class of 78. I'd like to ask about that. When You you were a company
0: commander over Plebe Summer, is that right? No, I was a squad leader. A squad leader, okay. What uh, contributions did you try to make to midshipman culture when you were a squad leader? Because Plebe Summer is one of the ways that culture in the brigade is passed down from class to class. Um, I
2: mean... We had our, we told them, I mean, we had the times when we would tell them what we had gone through, what cruises were like, you know, all the things. We took them to the classes, so we had the, the whole, I, I, I don't remember e- either from my plebe summer or from first class year any of the classes I attended, but I know that's, we, we were marching them there, we were marching them back, um, and we were teaching them. You know, this is the way it is. This is what, when you get out in the fleet, this is what you can expect. Uh, so you, you had that as well. I mean, you were, when you were doing come-arounds as an upper class, it was viewed as an educational thing, not just plebe summer. The whole year round was, okay, th- uh, here's what you need to learn. Here's why we do things and everything else. During plebe summer, it was mostly teaching them how to how to do the basics I mean I was second set so they knew the basic marching and everything else we were now getting them you know first set broke them down we built them back up again as far as midshipman culture it was more I mean you know we had Say now you guys don't do these either um do you uh we had like carrier landings so we those have um, been on and off when when we've been here. We've had yeah, yeah. some last year. Well, yours was is more like just a slip and slide. Mm-hmm. You just wet down the halls, right? That's what you guys call a carrier landing, yeah. pretty much.
3: Yeah, you get like a bunch of soap, a bunch of water, lo- like block all the doors from getting water inside, and then two of the p- like plastic mattresses, and you just kind of run at each other.
2: No, we see ours. We'd bring out a uh, we bring out a mattress, and mm-hmm. then you the pleads would go down. And they'd be in the holding pattern. You'd have a f- whoever was running the, the carrier landing he's the first, he would go in and he'd point to one, and you'd put your arms out and you'd come sh- screaming down, and then you had to leap onto the the mattress. Well, you know, some people had aim, poor aim and missed the mattress.
3: <laughs> was the ground wet, or was it just a no, mattress? No, this
2: was just the mattress. You just came fl- running down. The, the other one was a slip and slide. We did those too. Um, but this was – you had the carrier – you know, so this was – you know, building teamwork and everything else and how cool, who could do a cool landing, who was the best airplane, you know, were you a, were you a, you know, were you a, a spad, you know, arms out or were you a fighter with your wings back, uh, you know, some guys would come in and pretend they're helicopters and just sort of drop down on there, um, but of course, you had the guy that missed the mattress, hit his tooth on the floor, broke a tooth, everybody else, we had... So we had that. Um, and then of course you had crash landing, foam the runway. So two plebes would run in, grab cans of shaving cream and cover the mattress with shaving cream. <laughs> and the last, that would be the last landing of the day was that. We had, we had Greyhound races where you would use a piece of male protective undergarment and put it over your head as your muzzle, and then you'd race usually four abreast down the hall on your your toes and your hands. So that was greyhound racing. (laughs) I'm glad they don't have that anymore. (laughs) Yeah, well, you kind of can't do that because not everybody has the necessary equipment. Right. Uh,
0: (laughs) So, Rick, what is one rule or responsibility that you disliked as a midshipman that looking back you think had a positive impact on you either
2: during your time in the Navy or afterwards? There wasn't anything that I, that I hated. You know, I didn't feel the stuff was unfair. Now, again, I'll say I was a Navy junior, so I grew up with sort of the same. You know, it was, wasn't quite as strict as the Naval Academy, but... Actually, I'd like to ask how, how different was the Naval Academy when your dad came here than when you were here? Oh, he, it was even stricter. I mean, there they could literally get physical. For for instance, for a come around, they could they could smack you on the butt with a with a paddle. Um, back then, the classes were actually organized by language. You you marched to class. Everybody in your company marched to class to the same class. You all took the exact same schedule. The only difference was whether you took. French or German or Spanish. There may have been a couple of those. I've talked to him about it. So from that perspective, that was where you went. You got tested, I think they got tested weekly. And so in every class, you had a weekly exam. So you had that.
3: Hitting on the topic of service selection, how was service selection different than what you see currently? Oh, we totally had control. We had total control. Oh, well,
2: you had to be physically qualified for aviation. If you wanted to go sub-slash-nuke power, you had to slot through um, nuclear reactors. And this was back in the days when Rickover was there and you had a personal interview with Rickover. That was how the process worked. It was the, the final step. You were screened along the way, and then you went into a final interview with Admiral Rick over, and he asked you why the hell you wanted to. Did you think you were good enough to join his nuclear power force and everything else? Nuclear power was was the primo thing. It, it, there was no sub draft. There was people that wanted to go nuke that couldn't. SWO was the dumping ground, and it literally was. If you flunked out of aviation, if you flunked out of nuke power, you went SWO.
3: Was there no option to go Marine Corps back then?
2: There was one sixth of the class, not one quarter. One sixth of the class. What was less open was EOD and um, and seals. We had like three. There were like three seal and three EOD billets a year. Not nothing like what you've got.
3: Kind of changing up topics here a little bit. Kind of a, a mythical area of USNA history and lore is the Ho Chi Minh Trail. The trail that... Never ran it. Never been under there? I have
0: not. Was it a thing when
2: you were here? Oh, yeah. that's oh. where. I mean, that's where it got the name, the Ho Chi Minh Trail, because that was the late 60s, early 70s. Could you explain what the Ho Chi Minh Trail is? Well, to heat all these buildings, and, and you've seen them in other places too, there are steam pipes. And so the Ho Chi Minh Trail was the maintenance tunnels for... Um, Doing that now that meant if you could get into the the Ho Chi Minh Trail, you could get any place onto the academy unseen. So if you're doing recons and stuff like that, that's how you did it. Now I never went on recons, but um, what are recons? Oh, you guys don't do recons?
3: Not that I know of. We might. Um,
2: the the recon is when you sneak out and like put up a chi- uh, a cheer poster or something oh, like that.
0: Oh, yeah. a spirit mission. Spirit that's what We mission. call them. Okay.
2: We call them recons. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah, spirit mission recon. Um, So yeah, we did that. Um, But you know, if you were going to do that, that that was one way to get out. Uh, Speaking of the heat, this was one of those not really following the rules or what you guys wouldn't possibly be able to do today. We had when the, the the you didn't have any control over the heat in the room. It just blasted hot. Well, that meant that by the middle of the night you were boiling up. When I was a plebe, we had, the, the firsties would sign up, you'd, well not the firsties, the upper class would sign up on a list. Because what you'd do is you'd leave your window open to let the cool air in and take it down. But as the night went on, it kept getting colder and colder. So you, you'd, you know, upper class shouldn't have to get up and close the windows. There was a list, the windows list and Two plebes every night would go up between two and three in the morning, and you'd go into every room and close the windows. Well, you had to be real careful because they got all got the blinds and everything else, and the blinds are down, so you're sitting here trying to reach your hands underneath the blinds and pull it down or reach through the blinds and squeak it down. Now, some people avoid it. I remember I, I lived on 6'4, they got those nice wide ledges. A number of my company mates would just go out on the ledge the ledge of the roof yeah the, no, well no, the gutter ledge at the window level. okay yeah they were right they were at the same height as the windows. okay, so you just open your window and we used to, during the day we used to go out and sit there. We used to go sunbathe um, you'd store your it was like a refrigerator during the winter so you'd put anything that that could afford to be frozen if it froze. you'd keep your cold drinks out there and everything else, but they'd go out there. And they'd walk around the windows from the outside, and close the windows that way, so they didn't have to go into the rooms. This is plebes
0: walking at the edge of uh, four decks off the off the ground. Yeah, at, in the middle of the night.
2: Yeah, at two in the morning. <laughs> Little different from today. Yeah, you got well. That's when they they because they they when I first got here, they actually had some of the mids fall out of the windows and, and get get killed and everything else, that so those blockages where your windows are blocked are fairly recent, Mm. less than 10 or 15 years Mm. old.
0: Uh, Rick, we'd like to conclude with a couple of broader questions about Mm -hmm. the culture of the brigade. So first of all, there's a running joke among midshipmen that each class has experienced the last real plebe year. But do you think that the standards of the brigade have evolved either in a positive or
2: negative way since you've been here? Mostly, I, I won't say they've slackened, I've I've, I've talked about the, you know, do you belong here? Um, I've talked about the honor. I don't think honor is as tight uh, here. The relationship between plebes and upper class, I don't know whether it's good or bad. As in it's a lot more relaxed? As as a lot more, like like you said, you guys sit around at, at the meals and you just talk. It's more of
0: a mentorship relationship yeah. rather than the pressure. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, now I haven't been to a, you know, a company dinner table or something like that and seen the the reaction. I'm just going off of talking to like Nels and and my other sponsor kids. Um, you know, you would if you could find get on training tables or find someplace that was a break to to get away from your your company tables for meals Mm. um now once you got to be an upper class that all went away but i I don't like i said there's you know do you feel i mean when we graduated we felt we'd done something Mm. you know when you finished plebe summer you'd been through an ordeal you knew it and you you were proud of it um i think you guys are now but i don't think you're you don't feel as tested as we felt, and so it was—it was that type of thing.
0: Um, Do you think the Naval Academy is still commissioning the same quality of officers that it once
2: was? Probably. You know, with all the stuff with the collision, I had to kind of question it: Is what is going on? Have the computers and everything else lessened it? I mean, was the the isolation? Good or bad? I mean, and, uh, and I saw this change. It's, it's changed since the iPhone came out. I mean, I, when I hear the stories out in the fleet that sailors have breakdowns when they go three weeks without having access to the internet to call their wives and girl, uh, girlfriends and husbands, um, I go, is this, is this the generation we're raising? but we won the friggin' war on terrorism. And you, you know, the graduates from here were the Marines and sailors and, and, and fighter pilots that did it. So, you know, do I, is it different? Absolutely. Is it, are they better or worse? I don't think so. I don't think in the end, I can't, I mean, can I, you know, scoff at you guys? Hey, what a bunch of wussies. <laughs> I mean, Truthfully, we, I, I lost the paper. I really wish I had it, um, but I, I had a memory box, and, and one of my moves, it got lost. But we had a daunt memo telling us that we could use our bayonets to protect ourselves and the flag in case protesters attacked us. I, wow. mean, I mean, there was active intel that there was going to be a protest, and they were going to attack the parade line, and we marched— we marched with bayonets fixed from T Court all the way to Warden. Wow. And so there was a memo that came out and said, you know, you're authorized the use of force, any force, to defend yourself, to defend a, a, another, a fellow midshipman and to defend the flag. So, I mean, that was—that brought it home. That's a big environment between—I I mean, we were sort of hated— I got a letter when i when the word got out that I was going to the Naval Academy, I was a newspaper boy, and so the newspaper did a you know local newspaper boy does good um I got a letter, and this was in that box as well it got lost uh, addressed from the Woodstock Nation calling me a killer and a baby killer and how how could I live with myself? It was like two or three pages of ranting um you know we we lived in a it was a totally different era. The, my my brother actually suffered from me going to the Naval Academy. I had a my uh, Spanish teacher was a uh, major pacifist, mm-hmm. and I was very good at Spanish, and I stood up to her. My brother actually got bad grades from her wow. because he was my brother, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it was totally unfair to him. Yeah. Interesting. But that I'll say that big difference when we came here you know we were coming here knowing that we were now you guys come here knowing your good chance you were still going to war well we were facing the same thing but our war was unpopular your war was supported you know, so that was another difference
3: what part of the brigade culture would you like to see stay or persevere into I think the, the
2: basic the company relationships that you build, that really is something that's supportive and that, that should you know, that part of the culture, the, the brotherhood or fraternity, well shoot, those are both male things. The the, the family, <laughs> the comradeship, um, that culture, the fostering, that belief in the company, in the in the class. Strengthen the honor concept, you know, just putting that together. I think
0: that's a good place to end. Thank okay. you very much,
2: Rick, for joining us today. Well,
3: Thank you. It's been awesome. Great. Thank you.
1: This concludes our interview with Rick Johns about the changing rules and expectations within the brigade. We want to thank Mr. Johns for spending his time with us and sharing his perspective and experience. This has been the Midshipman Produced podcast, Life at the Academy, recorded from the Naval Academy's Sampson Hall in Annapolis, Maryland. On behalf of the USNA and History Department and our Midshipman hosts and producers, thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time.